Hello and welcome to Live Full. My name is Joey Schwartz and this show is all about helping followers of Jesus feast on the word and be filled with the spirit. In this episode, I'm excited to bring on Sam Storms to talk to us about the gift of tongues. If you've been listening to Live Full, you've heard Sam Storms' name come up plenty. He's the lead pastor for preaching and vision at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. He's the former associate professor of theology at Wheaton College. He's the author of Practicing the Power and the Language of Heaven, among other books. But what I have appreciated most about Dr. Storms' is his leadership in providing teaching around the spiritual gifts that is rigorously rooted in scripture. So in this episode, I'm having Dr. Storms join us to cap off our series on the gift of tongues. That's where we're going. Let's get started. Dr. Storms, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you today. So we want to talk here about specifically the gift of tongues. Now, I know you recently, a little while back, released a book called The Language of Heaven, walking through these things. So what I want to do in this conversation is dive into some of the things that you go into depth on in that book, but also ask you to expand on some things in that book um, and also talk a little bit about your personal experience. I I want to start there. Um, I want you to take us back to October 1970 at McKinley Elementary School. What happened there? Yeah, it's still very fresh and vivid in my mind these many, many years later. What is that? Gosh, 51 (laughs) years ago. Um, I had just returned to the campus of the University of Oklahoma after having spent the summer working with Campus Crusade for Christ at a project in Lake Tahoe. And uh, toward the end of my time in Tahoe, I went to a Bible study where a man named Harold Bredesen um, was teaching, and he was talking on the subject of tongues. I was not open to it. I was raised a very strict Southern Baptist. I thought the guy was bonkers. And he gave me a book to read about it uh, by John Sherrill called They Speak With Other Tongues. I read it. And the Lord just began to move on me, just began to uh, awaken me um, to uh, just a desire for deeper intimacy with him and more power in prayer. And so I felt this prompting to begin praying, Lord, uh, you know, at that time, I was still a cessationist, a pretty hardcore cynical cessationist. But I said, if this is really you and this can be helpful to me, I want it. And so uh, I was a part of a fraternity there at OU. And uh, every night around 10 o'clock, I'd leave it and walk a couple of blocks away to the McKinley Elementary School playground, sit under the same tree, which the same tree is still there to this day. I pass it every time I go to an OU football game. And I just prayed um, and just sought the Lord over and over again for this gift. So one night after about five weeks of this, um, I had prayed and I was sitting there and I, I wasn't trying to do anything. I had never been instructed on, uh, on the nature of tongues. And I mean, it was uh, an invasion from heaven. Um, I was caught up in this remarkably euphoric experience. It could be of God or the devil, but this one was definitely of the Lord. And I just began, I, I wasn't trying, in other words, I didn't start out trying to say nonsense syllables. It just flowed out of my mouth. And it was absolutely incredible and exhilarating. and. Um, I had no, it was just remarkable. So I sat there speaking in what I believe was tongues for about two or three minutes. And then, you know, I, I felt like I had the power to shut it off and I did. Um, and so I remember going back to my fraternity house, calling up the, uh, the leader of crusade there at OU at that time and said, I got to talk to you. He came over to my fraternity house. I sat down in his car, first words out of his mouth. You spoke in tongues tonight, didn't you? <laughs> Oh my, uh, yeah, I did. What do I do now? And he was not encouraging at all because uh, that was back when Crusade was very anti-charismatic, and I was very uh, much in leadership among the students uh, in the ministry there. And he said, "Well, you you can't do that again, or we'll have to remove you from leadership." So I got frightened. I got uh, 
you know, a little bit intimidated. Uh, I started questioning whether the experience was real. And um, I never spoke in tongues again for another 20 years. And it was almost 20 years to the, to the very week. It was in early no, or mid-November. I was in New Orleans at a um, Evangelical Theological Society conference with Jack Deere. And <clears throat> started sharing my experience with Jack. And um, we talked about it. He prayed for me. And God just brought it back to life in a very real way. And it's very much a part of my, my daily experience and my relationship with the Lord now. So it was an interesting journey, you know, having that powerful encounter and then letting fear and doubt and was it real? Was it God? Was it me? I think deep down inside, I always knew it was real, but I was, you know, at Dallas Seminary, I was ministering in cessationist churches. Uh, <clears throat> so I was largely intimidated and kept silent about it, tried to dismiss it. The Lord wouldn't let me go. So 20 years after receiving that gift, the gift goes dormant before yeah. just one encounter with a brother who encouraged you with second Timothy and, and something you pointed out there. I want to read this just for anyone listening right now that is in that place. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, fan it into flame. And then the contrast for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, yeah. but of power and love and self-control. Yeah, that was my experience um, without question. Um, I had really allowed the, the, the flame of that gift to die down. And it was like the, the imagery of a barely burning ember. And Paul's advice to Timothy, and we don't know what that gift was, right. but he says, blow on it, fan it back into flame, reignite it, bring it back into full force. And of course, that's what I did. And God honored that. And uh, the rest is history. In conversations around the gift of tongues, like we're having the discussion, I think almost naturally drifts toward controversy. So there's been a lot of debate about the nature of tongues. Is it a human language? Is it an, an angelic language? But one thing I loved about Language of Heaven, the book, is that you start by talking about tongues as a gift. First and foremost, it's a good gift from the Lord. So I'd love to hear from your personal experience about how you found tongues to be a really beautiful gift. I just want to hear how, how has Jesus used the gift of tongues in your life? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, th I think it's important for all of us to remember that all spiritual gifts are God's way of blessing us and empowering us for life and ministry. Um, and to think that we would take something that God has personally crafted and blessed us with in his grace and his mercy and treat it with contempt and dismiss it, ignore it, marginalize it, uh, just doesn't make much sense to me. I think we need to acknowledge, uh, you know, tongues was God's idea. It's not something that Paul thought up, not something that anybody else in the history of the church kind of created. Uh, this was God's idea. Um, he is the one who manifests the spirit in and through us in, in this particular way. So um, I had to overcome um, a lot of hesitation in that regard. Uh, one of the, I think one of the big barriers that people face with this is that of all spiritual gifts, it's the most um, unusual in terms of how we uh, get by in life. All the other gifts you can exercise and sound sane and rational. <laughs> you pray for the sick and you don't necessarily sound crazy. You can prophesy uh, and not necessarily come off as a goofball. But when you start um, speaking in, um, in language or linguistic expressions, that are not native to you and that nobody around you understands, unless, of course, the gift of interpretation is present, it, it kind of sets tongues apart as kind of the odd gift, uh, the one that really uh, runs the risk of, of stigmatizing you in the eyes of other Christians. And I think that's one of the reasons why we shy away from it. Um, then also, I think just the, the controversy that has largely, I think, been inadvertently and unintentionally promoted by uh, second blessing theologies. Um, the Assemblies of God is a good example, although wonderful Christians there, I think that uh, they have contributed to this idea 
that whereas you can be a Christian, you can be born again, and you can have the spirit indwelling you, you're not really functioning at a high level of power and maturity until you've experienced baptism in the spirit, the evidence of which is speaking in tongues. And so it, it served to create this divide between the haves and the have-nots, those who have the gift and therefore have the fullness of the spirit and those who don't and are kind of, uh, you know, partially filled. And it created an, a kind of a, a spirit of elitism. And uh, those who didn't have the gifts felt judged and, oh, you don't think I'm really uh, loved of God. I'm obviously not uh, qualified and called to, to work in ministry because I haven't had the experience that you have had. That kind of um, mindset serves only to divide people. And it, it puts in a resistance in the hearts of those who don't have the gift uh, to those who claim that they do. Um, now, again, if we just understood that nobody has every gift, um, you know, that shouldn't bother us. But unfortunately, this idea that there is this second blessing subsequent to conversion that empowers in a way that um, um, other Christians can't experience, I think created a lot of the controversy and it created a lot of the backlash and the resistance to tongues. Uh, so those are the two primary reasons why it has had the, the reputation that it has had. And then I think, of course, there's what I believe is just a lot of misinterpretation of text in the New Testament about it, misunderstandings of the purpose of tongues, the nature of tongues. I guess the third um, thing that really has worked against the broader acceptance of tongues as a good gift from God in the present day is the, uh, the idea that all tongue speech in Scripture was a human language spoken somewhere in the world that the Christian has never learned or studied. And therefore, today, all expressions of tongues have to be some human language, whether Mandarin or Swahili or Russian or, uh, you know, French or whatever. And the fact is, a lot of studies have been done by linguistic experts, and they have found that that is generally not the case. And so the conclusion then is, well, then all modern tongues are fabricated. They're fake. Uh, they're not real. They're just mindless gibberish created by the emotional excess of the individual believer. So those are the three reasons. By the way, I, I think that third argument is really bad. It's not substantiated in Scripture. I have a long section in my book explaining why that is not true. Um, but I think those are the reasons why it has been challenging. For me personally, um, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting question because, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, that the um, no, 14.4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But he doesn't tell us how. He, he doesn't say, oh, and this is the way it edifies you. Um, but he says it does. And that's a good thing. We all, you know, Jude commands us in verse 20 of his letter to build ourselves up. Um, my guess is that everybody watching this podcast or listening to it is doing so in order to build themselves up. They're wanting to be edified, instructed, encouraged. So there's nothing selfish or sinful about wanting to be built up. You just need to understand that that's not the ultimate goal of any of the gifts. The ultimate goal is to equip us so that we, in turn, can help equip and encourage others. But again, getting back to my main point, Paul doesn't explain how tongues builds a person up. I trust that it does. I think it does deepen my sense of intimacy with the Lord. I feel closer to him. I sense his presence. I, I feel emboldened and encouraged perhaps to pray with more confidence and power. Um, you know, Paul later in 1 Corinthians 14, or earlier in chapter 14, he says, uh, speaking in tongues is, a, is speaking to God. So it's prayer. He talks about, uh, so therefore, everything we do in English, like our session in prayer, can be accomplished in tongues. It's just that you don't know exactly what you're saying, but the Spirit is crafting that through you. Uh, Paul says that it's a form of, of giving thanks, he says in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, it's a way of expressing gratitude. He talks about singing in the Spirit, which I believe is singing in tongues. So it's a kind of worship. So for me, whenever I pray or sing in tongues, I'm confident that three, at least three things are happening. Or excuse me, at least four things are happening. Number one, I'm praying to God maybe petitions and requests that I might struggle to articulate in English 
are coming forth to the throne of grace through the Spirit, through my gift of tongues. Secondly, I know I'm somehow building myself up. I'm strengthening my soul and my spirit. Third, I know that I'm uh, worshiping the Lord when I sing in the Spirit. And fourth, I know I'm giving thanks. So those are at least some of the practical ways in which the gift operates. And I think that would be in not just in my life, but in the experience of anyone who's, who's been given this gift. It is such a creative blessing of the Lord to sanctify us and build us up in that way. And I think it shows something of the Father's heart. He just, he lavishes his love on us and even sanctifies us with creativity. And um, I want to get everyone on the same page in terms of what we're talking about when we're talking about the gift of tongues. So we're coming out of, we've done a few teachings on the gift of tongues, but I know our listeners coming from different audiences might have different perceptions, like you said, from this kind of controversy of what we're talking about when we talk about the gift of tongues. So we've got a lot of questions to cover, but I want to first just kind of lay the foundation how would you define the gift of tongues? And then how, how is it different, the gift that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14? How is that different than what we see in the manifestation at, Pente- at Pentecost? Sure. Well, I, I would try to keep the definition as simple as possible. I think it is the spirit-imparted capacity or ability to um, articulate in uh, cognitively substantial, and I'll explain what I mean by that, meaningful utterances, our requests, our praise, our worship, our gratitude to God, that is, generally speaking, crafted by the Holy Spirit. That's why I call it the language of heaven. Um, sometimes, I do think First Corinthians 13 at least suggests that Paul believed that some could speak the tongues of angels. Um, again, you know, those of us in the West think, oh, all angels speak English, right? Well, no, my guess is in biblical times, they spoke Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek. And uh, my guess is angels are uh, capable of speaking any human language if they communicate with people, uh, even when they communicate among themselves. But who knows what kind of linguistic form uh, takes expression there. But I think it's, prim- it's, it's primarily the spirit having crafted uniquely for each person. That's why when I hear people pray in tongues, they don't all sound the same. Um, if, if, if we were sitting here, and again, I do believe it's linguistic. What I mean by that is it's not gibberish. It has linguistic content to it, but it's not linguistic in the same sense that what we're doing right now and talking to each other is because it's unintelligible unless somebody has an interpretation. Um, so, you know, just to give an, a comparison, if you were in a room with somebody speaking Mandarin, somebody speaking Russian, somebody speaking English, somebody speaking French, they would all sound differently. And you probably would only understand the one speaking English, or let's replace that one with somebody speaking German. Um, but you wouldn't conclude from that, well, that's just mindless nonsense gibberish. You'd say, no, it's probably really linguistic in nature and it's communicating ideas and concepts. I just don't know what it means. Yes. I think that's what happens when I pray in tongues, for example. Um, so I do believe it is, it is, it has linguistic substance. It is not mindless gibberish. It is communicating uh, genuine ideas. For example, when Paul says, if you give thanks in the spirit, he says this in first Corinthians 14, you are giving thanks well enough, but the visitor in the absence of interpretation doesn't know what you're saying. So Paul is saying, even though you do not understand what you're saying, others around you don't understand, you're still giving thanks to God, which means there has to be some sort of cognitive, rational, um, meaningful substance to what you're saying. Now, the reason why I think it's different from what we see in the book of Acts, undoubtedly in Acts chapter 2, no denying the fact, those were legitimate human dialects that the disciples were enabled to speak that they had not learned in advance. And that's why the people present there were marveling. How are these uneducated Galileans speaking our own languages, declaring the mighty works of God? So undoubtedly, that was the nature of tongues then. I think, though, it is a huge leap, and I think a mistaken one, 
to jump from Acts 2 and say, therefore, every other instance of, of tongue speech has to be the same as Acts 2. Why do we assume that? That's just a, an assumption that needs proof. And I don't think the proof is forthcoming. Even in Acts, for example, um, the only other places where tongues are mentioned in Acts beyond that, I think, are in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. Um, now, here's the interesting part. Most cessationists would argue that since tongues in Acts 2 were in human dialects that other people could understand, and that they were spoken in the presence of unbelievers who were visiting Jerusalem during Passover, the purpose of tongues is evangelism. Well, the problem is when you come to Acts 10 and Cornelius and his, uh, his friends suddenly began speaking in tongues, there weren't any unbelievers present. It was only Peter and other Jewish Christians. In Acts 19, when the uh, disciples of John the Baptist spoke in tongues, there were no unbelievers present. It was just Paul and his traveling companions. So it would seem strange if, if that's the purpose of tongues in every case, that it's designed to convert the lost. Um, it doesn't fit the, the expression of tongues even in Acts itself. And then when you come to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it's interesting that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, let me just mention the, the text, verse 10, he's talking about the gifts that are given. He talks about various kinds of tongues. Um, I like the translation that one commentator gave it. He says a variety of species of tongues. And I think what he means by that is that one species of tongues would be human languages. Another species would be angelic dialects. Another would be the variety of expressions that the spirit crafts for each individual believer to whom the gift is given. Um, so I think he's suggesting that there are, that, that there are different kinds of tongue speech. And, um, and I know I'm going on here. I don't know how deep you want me to go, but just a couple other comments. First Corinthians 14, two, Paul says the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God for no one mm -hmm. understands it. All right. Just think about that. What is a human language? Human language is speaking to men and they understand what you're saying, like what we're doing right now. Um, so Paul is saying here, when you speak in a tongue, you're not talking to men. You're not doing what human language does. Rather, you're talking to God. And no one understands you on earth, but God does. Um, so for, there are numerous instances of this all through 1 Corinthians 14 that would, I believe, um, build a case for the idea that tongue speech can be, certainly there are instances where I've heard of this, it can be known human languages in the earth that you've never previously studied. I think that's rare. I think it's exceptional. I think in most cases, it is a spirit-crafted form of speech that is, hor that is vertical in its orientation. It's directed to God. Yes. It's only directed to others if there is interpretation. It's primarily vertical. It's praise, prayer, thanksgiving, worship, um, and all, the, all that would be entailed in those particular expressions. Yes. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's praying yeah. all the time in tongues. And, and then he says, but in church, as I'm encouraging horizontally, I'd rather speak one word of prophecy than he'd rather prophesy a per, the prophetic gift is a horizontal gift. That's so helpful. And, and I think where that leaves, it leaves me, it leaves believers that I've talked to that are walking in the gift of tongues and, and even my community right now, we see that there's abundant freedom to pray in tongues in private when we're speaking not to men, but to God. It, it is wide open. We feel just the blessing of Paul saying, I want all of you to speak in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all of you. And, and the freedom of praying when our mind is weak, when our body is weak, the sure. gift of, of the spirit coming to our spirit and enabling us to pray. But I find that what trips up many believers, and I, in my course with this gift, have found myself at times not knowing where to go and what to do is, when they can and cannot pray in tongues in public, let's say it's a prayer meeting or a Sunday service or praying for a person, maybe it's one person in the room, maybe it's two people in the room, 
And they get to this place of, I'm praying, and what typically happens when the Lord leads me into tongues speech in private is happening, but someone else is in the room and someone else is going to hear me. Yeah. So can you give us some guidance? Because I feel like as I see this practice, sometimes it's, is it okay that I'm singing in tongues and someone might hear me? Am I going... Am I going against 1 Corinthians 14's guidelines in that instance? Would you give us some guidance about when we feel compelled by the Lord to pray in tongues, but we're not in private? There might be other people around. Sure. Yeah, that is a controversial, and it's a difficult question to answer. Um, I would say this. First of all, let's keep in mind the context of 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about a corporate gathering of the church that is designed primarily to build up other people, to encourage them, to instruct them, to bless them. Well, if that's the case, what's said has to be intelligible. You, you can't be built up by, you know, if someone is sitting here and started speaking Mandarin, that's not going to help me at all because I don't understand Mandarin. They need to speak English. Um, and so Paul is talking about a corporate gathering, the primary purpose of which is building up one another in the body of Christ. Um, he also envisions the scenario of an unbeliever. He talks about this. I'm looking at it here um, uh, in verse 23 and following of chapter uh, 14. The whole church comes together and all are speaking in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? His point is, if there are non-Christians present, and, and you would hope that there would be in a corporate gathering of the church, and evidently in a city like Corinth, there oftentimes were, um, it's not going to help them any to hear you speaking in tongues if they don't understand what you're saying. That's why Paul says there needs to be interpretation. So his point is, you're in a meeting in which the primary purpose, again, if I can say it this way, is horizontal. We're trying to build up one another. We're, we're instructing and encouraging one another. Um, in that context, it's only going to help them if they can understand what we're saying. That's why he calls for interpretation. But let's, you just mentioned an example. What about, uh, let's say it's a small group gathering. And uh, let's say there are 15 people in my living room and we all know each other. We're all believers. Um, and we're, we start praying. Would it be inappropriate to pray in tongues there? My answer to that is no, because you're not attempting to accomplish what Paul was trying to accomplish in 1 Corinthians 14. We're there primarily to praise God, to pray to God. It's, our orientation now is more vertical in nature. And so I think in that context, praying out loud without interpretation would be permissible. Um, there are times when we have uh, what we call all church worship nights here at Bridgeway. And um, we do not anticipate, nor do we advertise uh, for non-Christians to come. Now, there might, they might wander in here and there, but uh, it's primarily a believer's meeting. So we're not running the risk of people saying, oh, you're out of your mind. You're nuts speaking this way. Um, our primary focus, again, is vertical. Um, so when you're in a gathered corporate setting, the purpose of which is to instruct one another share the gospel, teach one another, encourage one another. It needs to be intelligible. That's why there has to be interpretation. In other contexts, in other meetings, um, we have to ask whether or not that is the kind of situation to which Paul's teaching would apply. Now, I will say this one thing. Um, it's very common for me. Now, of course, remember, I'm sitting on the front row of the, of the auditorium. And during our worship time, I will begin singing in tongues. But nobody can hear me because there's nobody in front of me <laughs> and the music is very loud. Um, if I thought that people could hear me and if those around me were visitors or non-Christians, I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I would wanna, wouldn't want to put any kind of a stumbling block in their way. So, again, I, I think we need to be careful about um, assuming that the construction of 1 Corinthians 14 applies to every conceivable context in which Christians might gather. So, for example, um, if I'm in a, let's say my wife and I are counseling a particular individual who's struggling, and we're just the three of us in the room, and we've prayed and prayed and prayed, and we just kind of run out of words, we just, we're at, we're at our, we're, we reached our limit. 
And I might say to this person, I say, you know, sometimes when I reach the limit of what I can pray for you, I trust that God has more. And I say, would you mind if I prayed in tongues over you? I've never yet had anybody tell me, no, don't do that. And I say, sure. And I said, no, it's not important that you understand what I'm saying. It's only important that God hears it and that he will respond to that appropriately according to his will for your life. And so we'll pray for somebody in tongues um, in, in that kind of a setting. Um, so again, I, that, I think that's a, a more helpful way of, um, of understanding what Paul's doing. Now, the, the problem comes when um, people say, how do I know whether there's somebody with an interpretation present? Well, Paul doesn't give us any guidelines on how to do that. Um, I do think, however, that he gives us some hints. For example, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, in other words, when you gather as a corporate body, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So he's saying, before you ever come together, you already have received this from God. You have, um, God's given you a revelation from the Spirit. He's given you a hymn that you want to sing. He's given you a teaching that you want to instruct. He may also have prompted you to pray in tongues outwardly. He also may have already given you an interpretation for a tongue speech that hasn't even been uttered yet. I mean, how else can you, he says, when you come together, you have an interpretation. You've already got it. I've had people in settings come to me before a meeting starts, say, you know, I was praying before the meeting and I, if someone speaks in tongues tonight, I feel like God's given me the interpretation in advance. Mm. That might sound weird to some people, but <laughs> you got to deal with the text. It's right there in the text. Furthermore, we need to remember that Paul was not addressing a megachurch. Um, these churches and house churches in Corinth at most might have been able to, to handle 150 people. If they had a, a large courtyard, most of these were very small gatherings. And most likely, everybody knew everybody else, and therefore, you would probably know the spiritual gift that everybody there had. That is really helpful. What I hear a thread throughout all of that is tying 1 Corinthians 14 and the practice of tongues to the instructions of 1 Corinthians 13, that God is going to, he may lay on our hearts to pray in a tongue, but to keep 1 Corinthians 13 love in mind, especially the practice that you're talking about when you're praying with a couple of people that this, that teaching has been helpful for me and praying for a couple of people. And you just sense the Holy spirit is in this room and he is leading me into prayer. And I have a feeling if I start praying that the, the spirit may compel me to, and lead me into praying in tongues to ask. And, and even just to, to show that you're prioritizing love, I think is so helpful. Now I want to talk a little bit about speaking of love people who may find a hesitation around the gift of tongues. Earlier on, you mentioned that it is the gift that when practiced is immediately noticeable out of the norm from our daily um, day in, day out lives. And so I've heard from some people that uh, the gift of tongues is scary. It, it's frightening, potentially unsettling. And so for those who are in that place of it's just so out of the norm of, of what they've experienced of following Jesus and in their community. And then they're being brought into it. I wonder what encouragement that you give them. And also I, I want to ask with that, is it okay for us to not desire the gift of tongues? So if someone even believes that, okay, that person may pray in tongues and that person may pray in tongues. But for me, I don't know. I just, I don't have a settled spirit about wanting that. Is it okay to say, I think I'm, I'm good without that gift? It can be. Sure. Um, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Uh, and he, I think he means all of them. Um, so again, he, uh, he, he makes it very clear that we want to see these gifts operate in our lives and in the lives of others. But there have been some people who may have prayed just like I did in 1970, I mean, for a longer period of time, and they've gotten frustrated because God hasn't answered that prayer with a gift. I say to them, okay, don't worry about it. Be thankful for the gifts God has given you and make use of them. So, yes, it is okay 
if you've reached a point, at, and again, for some people, it may be, you know, I just don't have any prompting or desire or inclination for that gift. You know, the Lord has really laid on my heart more the gift of teaching or the gift of mercy or evangelism. I said, good, pray earnestly and seek after those gifts. Um, now, again, the reason I'm saying this, there, there are obviously many charismatic Christians who would disagree and push back because they say, but doesn't Paul tell us uh, in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, I want you all to speak in tongues. And if surely that's not just Paul's desire, that must be God's desire that he put on Paul's heart. Um, and I have a chapter in my book, as you will recall, about does God want all Christians to speak in tongues? And there are good answers, both yes and no. I'm inclined to say no, um, largely because of what he says at the end of chapter 12, when he says, do all speak with tongues? And the expected answer is no, any, not any more than not, that all prophesy or all are, are teaching. So um, if somebody does not have the gift of tongues and they don't feel an, an internal desire for it, they don't feel led necessarily to pray extensively for it, that's okay. Um, that's fine. Uh, I think they probably should say, Lord, if, if this is something on your heart for me, Spirit of God, would you awaken that desire in me? Would you sustain it? Would you, would you relentlessly pursue me and yes. prompt me to ask for it? But if that doesn't happen, um, pray for whatever other gift you may want and thank God for whatever gifts he's already given you and use them to the glory of the Lord. And I'd like to, I think that is a really good balance of celebrating the goodness of gift of the gift, but not going to the extreme of putting that as priority number one on the top of everyone's prayer list. Um, and it gives grace again, this first Corinthians 13 priority of love. It gives grace to approach our brothers and sisters who may be in a place right there in the season where God has them in a place of hesitation, maybe sanctification and learning and just giving Jesus and then the space for him to create and birth those, those desires in their heart. Now on the other end of that, I want to ask a question that is tied to what you're talking about when you're speaking about the charismatic extremes, because, um, I don't, I, at least from, from a lot of believers and friends that I've seen in this, I don't think anyone goes into it necessarily saying, I want to be just a champion of the gift of tongues. And yet what happens is that someone receives the gift of tongues and it has a drastic effect on their prayer life. I mean, their prayer life went, goes from being dry and barren to fruitful and they are worshiping God and enjoying him. And so naturally with all of that fruit, they really, really, really want that gift for others. And it can lead into um, almost too pushy, or even as we've talked about exalting the gift of tongues higher in priority than it is right. biblically. So I'd love for you to talk to that in your church context and what you've seen around other, other believers. How have you seen an, an excitement around the gift of tongues lead to an overemphasis? And then what counsel would you give to those who, who may be drifting that way to avoid it? Well, it's certainly permissible to be excited. If God grants you that gift embrace it, thank him for it, make good use of it according to biblical guidelines. But you have to remember the principle of 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit. Here's the phrase, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It is the will of the spirit of God that determines who gets what gift. It's not your will. It's not mine. Um, it's You cannot project your will on somebody else and say, well, since I wanted it and I got it, you got to want it and, you, and you'll get it. You have to stop and say, look, this is, this is up to the spirit of God. And it's interesting in, in the way that Paul enumerates these gifts back, starting back up at verse eight, to one is given, to another is given, to one is given, to another, indicating that no one has the same gift. No one has all the gifts. Do we do we trust the Spirit of God enough that he knows which gift is appropriate for each of God's children? The answer mm -hmm. is yes. And you just, and again, you just have to embrace that truth. Uh, so, yeah, I understand why people get excited about it and they say, gosh, this is so wonderful. How would you not want to have what I have and experience what I've experienced? That's human nature. 
Uh, and it, it's not just with tongues. It's probably with virtually everything else in the Christian life. You know, some doctrinal insight that you've just gained for the first time. Oh, you need to understand this. And you're really messed up and living at subpar level if you don't believe it the way I do. So I just think that the key to this is reminding ourselves that gifts are not ours to determine. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean that we're to do nothing. Uh, Paul says, earnestly desire. You got to want it really bad. That's what he's saying. Um, So, you know, you need to provide space in which the gifts can operate. You need to uh, read about it. You need to study the issue. You need to pray about it. You need to hang out with other people who have the same passion as you. There are a variety of ways in which we can seek and pursue the gifts. But again, as far as I can tell, there is no one gift that God intends for every believer to have. and I think, I think that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful, the variety of different contributions. Um, so again, I would just say to people who get a little bit overbearing and a little pushy, uh, just remind yourself, you're not the Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't in your hands to decide. It's not your will um, or even the other person's will that is preeminent here. It is the Spirit's will. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And that's the, that's the beauty of there's freedom. And then in Gala- I see in Galatians five and it's a, it's an, an exhortation to individual believers, but, but it's an, an exhortation to the church. Keep in step with the spirit, mm-hmm. keep in step with the spirit. He's the leader. He is leading. And, that, and it is also um, when it comes to how he distributes the gift, we don't have to manipulate. We don't have to push. We can follow and desire and we can really trust him. He is a really, really good leader. Um, someone is listening to this teaching and saying, I want this. I, I, I hear about those who might be skeptical about it or cynical about it, and that's okay. But for me right now, I want this. I want to be able to pray with my spirit. I want to be able to pray, utter mysteries to God in the spirit when my mind and my body are weak. I see this and I desire it. What counsel would you give to those who say, I want this. What are my next steps? sounds really self-serving. Get my book, The Language of Heaven, (laughs) Uh, subtitled Crucial Questions About Speaking in Tongues. I tried to answer every question, that being one of them. I have a a whole section in there about what do you do if you want the gift, but you don't have it? What are some practical steps you can take? Um, And the the reason I'm saying this is because you need to understand what it is you're wanting. You need to understand how it will manifest itself in your life should God choose to give it to you. You need to understand the guidelines that Paul gives for how this gift is to be exercised to the benefit of others and the glory of Christ. So you need to study. Um, Don't just go into this blind. Don't just go into this thinking to yourself, wow, that sounds like fun. Um, No, you need to understand why God has given it, how it functions, how it operates, how he chooses to impart it. So study for one thing. Uh, secondly, um, you need to pray relentlessly, uh, not just once, maybe pray with fasting for a prolonged season of time. Like with me, it, it was five weeks of every single night, seven nights a week for five weeks, pouring my heart out to the Lord. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't cranking that up. I wasn't gritting my teeth and making myself do what I really didn't want to do. I felt led of the spirit. I just had a sense that this was something that God wanted for me and that I needed. Uh, as I said earlier, you need, to, uh, you need to put yourself in a place in local church life where this sort of pursuit and practice is encouraged. If people are in small group settings or corporate gatherings or hanging out with Christians who they fear are going to laugh at them and mock them and tell them, oh, no, you've got a demon. That isn't the spirit. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really crush you. It's going to shut you down. You're not going to be as open and hungry and, and desperate and dependent as you otherwise would be. So you need to hang out with other Christians and be a part of a local church that encourages this. Um, and then I think lastly of all, um, avoid any kind of manipulation or coercion or even self-coercion where you kind of some people say, oh, come on now, just, just start muttering syllables and let the Spirit of God take over. I don't think that's how you do it. Now, I'm not saying that God can't use that as a way to impart the gift. Um, but I, my advice to people is, look, get alone, 
Put on your favorite worship music. Quiet your heart before the Lord. Begin to praise God. Sing out your praises. And, and then if you find yourself there welling up within you expressions and utterances that you can't quite understand, let that be the way in which the Spirit will catalyze that gift in you and release it in you. Um, I don't like the idea of, you know, five people gathered around one person laying hands on them. All right, come on now, pray in tongues. They, then they, what happens then? They do it in order that they won't look like they're not spirit-filled. They want to they yield to the pressure. And then when they leave, they say, well, that was fake. Well, that was just the flesh. And, and it closes their heart down to the reality of tongues. So I just, I strongly, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, look, I really do want the gift of tongues. Would you and three or four others pray for me? That's okay. Just don't create in that prayer session the expectation that it's going to happen right then and there. I tell people most times it's going to happen when you're in private, when you're alone with the Lord. That's the way it was with me. It can certainly happen in the context of a corporate gathering when people are surrounding you, but that, that's not always the case. In fact, I think it's probably the exception rather than the rule. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's something about just obeying the Lord by using your vocal cords to pray and to posture yourself in a place of praying out loud, singing out loud, creating plenty of place for the Holy Spirit to minister to you. And just obeying God with the simple act of prayer and diligent prayer over the long haul and trusting him. And one other thing I would say to people who are, who are wanting this gift, don't be afraid of sounding silly Mm. that people have this, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to sound silly. I don't want to sound goofy. I don't want to give anybody the impression. I don't even want to give myself the impression that I'm, that I'm a fanatic. Look, your heavenly father loves you and the spirit of God is not going to give you a gift that he's not going to equip you to, to steward well. So trust the Lord. It's a good gift. Embrace it. Um, and, and don't worry about your image. Don't worry about what you look like in your own eyes or in the eyes of others. Don't let pride stifle or quench the spirit in your life. So that I think is very important for people to remember. Yes. I want to stay there because... I, I do believe that that is an obstacle for a lot of people. Um, they consider themselves a believer who seeks God and loves God with their mind. And they love listening to Bible teachers that are engaging the mind and connecting the dots of scripture. And even as they're envisioning a path of Christianity, they're thinking about the way that they're going to be progressing and developing and renewing their mind like Romans 12 talks about. And this gift, to explore this gift and to go down that road, it, it feels like they'd be going down a different path altogether. Um, and so there was one point in the language of heaven, and it was a, a brief little section, but I thought it was extremely helpful. And I want to draw it out because I think that this distinction can help set people free who are seeing intellectual pursuit as a roadblock to desiring tongues. Would you explain the difference between transrational and irrational, between transrational and irrational? Sure. Um, Rational means cognitively apprehended, cognitively understood. I trust that our discussion for these last few minutes, for example, has been rational. In other words, it's logical. It makes sense. Even if you might disagree with us, you can understand what we're saying. Irrational is if we had been spending the last 30 minutes talking about fried ice or a square circle, uh, you know, concepts or words that violate the basic principles of logic, we'd say that was irrational. That was just dumb. Um, Some people think that tongues is irrational. It's not. We know it's not because God created the gift and he created it for our good, for building us up and for blessing others and for praising him. So he's not going to give us a gift that runs counter to human logic or basic rules of human logic. So um, tongues is not irrational in the sense that it is violating the basic principles of human reasoning and logic. 
know, two plus two still equals four, even for the person speaking in tongues. But it is transrational in the sense that it goes beyond our mental capacity to comprehend and to make sense of it. And that's okay uh, because we know that God understands and he makes sense of it. Um, Again, I, I don't necessarily think that Romans 8 is talking exclusively about tongues, but I do believe it is inclusive. I think that tongues is actually involved in Paul's speech when he says, uh, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Mm-hmm. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even in normal prayer life, when we run out of language, we run at, at, we're at our wits' end, we can be confident that the Spirit is interceding in and through us with groanings too deep for words, which means... We don't know if it's us groaning, the spirit groaning, us, you know, a combined groaning. Um, we don't know what is being said, but he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. In other words, the father knows what the spirit is saying through us. Same thing with tongues. Um, and so uh, I don't live in fear that I'm, uh, you know, I'm losing my faculties or I'm going to have to be committed to a psychiatric institution just because I speak in ways that my mind, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, my mind is unfruitful. I don't understand what I'm saying. And my response is, I don't need to because I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to God and God understands what I'm saying. Yes. Paul, the one who writes the book of Romans, who lays out this theological treasure at the very end, talking about the depths, the wisdom, the riches of the knowledge of God has no shame has no hesitation about telling the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, I pray in tongues more than all of you. And what does that mean? My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And there's no distinction. And I love even thinking about the one who explores the depths and the riches of the love of Christ. Says in Ephesians 3 that the love of Christ is past knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. It's more than anything we can comprehend. That by no means means it's irrational. Right. It's just transrational. It goes beyond and exceeds our capacity to understand. And that's, that's glorious. Praise God. Yes. Um, And I want to bring this, this from the theory to personal, because I see in a lot of ways, this playing out in your life. I think many would consider you an intellectual a scholar. You got your PhD from Texas, THM from Dallas Theological Seminary, you spent four years as a professor at Wheaton. And, and some would see this route, the life of the mind, in contrast to the route of practicing and, and teaching on the spiritual gifts, which you've given much of your ministry to. And, um, on page, there was one part even that I loved. You just dropped it in there and then moved on. And and as a preacher, I, I it stuck to me. On page 81 in Language of Heaven, you talked about how praying in tongues has helped your Bible study and sermon preparation and how even devoting yourself to prayer in that way has blessed you in Bible reading. So just in your own life, I'd love for you to talk about how this gift has fueled, not been in contrast to, but actually fueled the way that you love God with your mind and vice versa. Yeah, that's a little, it's a little bit hard to explain, but um, there are times when, um, when I grow weary, uh, when, when, you know, studying the scriptures and uh, preparing messages and all, all pastors know this, you can kind of just, it's almost drudgery. Um, And, by praying in the spirit, it just, it just energizes my heart. It, it reconnects me with, with the love of God. It awakens me to the power of the spirit. And the spirit just seems to then um, begin to move in me. You know, uh, Paul talks in, uh, in Ephesians 1 about um, receiving the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation and the enlightening of the eyes of our heart. And I have just found um, that oftentimes when I, when I pray in tongues, either before, during, or after preparing a message or thinking about or reading a book or trying to write a book, that I find my mind quickened. I find suddenly I can see 
and understand and grasp things that before I could not. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's just a, rem- you know, Paul talks about in Second Timothy 2, I think it's verse 7, you know, think on these things and God will give you understanding. Um, so you got to think. He's not saying God's going to give you understanding um, without you thinking. But thinking is no guaranteed way of getting understanding. It's God has to give the understanding by means of thinking. So you use your mind, you use your intellect, you use your, uh, your knowledge and your skills as you're immersed in Scripture, trusting that the Spirit of God is going to grant you understanding. And I have just found in my own experience, and I don't, I'm not necessarily projecting this onto anybody else. It may not be the way God uses that gift in their life. Um, but in my life, it just quickens me. It just energizes my heart. I find I'm more receptive to the word. I'm more in tune with it. I'm more quick to embrace it and celebrate it and enjoy it. Uh, so again, that's kind of more of a personal testimony than it is any kind of prescribed regimen for every other Christian. Uh, um, you know, I dedicate the book to uh, Jackie Pullinger and talk about her at the end of the book. And the way God has used tongues in her ministry in Hong Kong is totally unique as far as I know. Um, and for people who don't know her story, she prays for opium and heroin addicts, and they come off drugs, cold turkey, without any pain of withdrawal. And they do it when she says, all right, now that you've come to know Jesus, start speaking in your new prayer language, and you won't experience pain. And almost 99% of the time, they come off drugs pain-free, and they don't relapse. And if people think I'm making this up, you need to go read her book, Chasing the Dragon, which is one of the most inspiring and instructive books about the power of the gift of tongues that I've ever read. But it's a great, great book. What a compassionate Savior that we have. I mean, that that comes to us with our weak bodies, our weak frame. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he comes to us in our weak frame and our weak mind, and he gives us strength to pray even when our minds can't pray. And then it helps. It overflows in our ability to even obey his call to love him with all of our our mind and, and the power of God that's released through it, like you're talking about with Jackie Pullinger. I mean, I do recommend that book. I also recommend, we've we brought up several times here, the language of heaven. I do recommend that you go and pick that up because it's a deep dive into this gift, especially if throughout this conversation, questions are popping up in your head because the book is written in somewhat of a extended Q and a format of listening out right. common questions and answering them. And also another book I'd recommend understanding spiritual gifts. That is more of a comprehensive guide right. around the spiritual gifts, but there is a section on the gift of tongues in that book, but that'll frame the gift of tongues around all the other um, gifts. Dr. Storm, Sam, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your heart and your experience around this gift. Would you have any final word of encouragement for our audience uh, around the gift of tongues? Uh, don't despise the gift of God. Don't let the, the opinions of others, the criticism of others, um, the, the cynical uh, smirking smiles of others um, or the fear of what others might think of you throw a wet blanket over your zeal. Um, Just know that God loves you and whatever gifts that he has designed for you, they are for your benefit and for the blessing of others. And so open your heart and embrace whatever it is that God might choose to bestow upon you. Amen. Amen. Well, Sam, thank you for joining us. Your ministry has I've seen the way in, in my community and among my friends and in my life and in my wife's life, how your ministry, your writing, your preaching and teaching has helped us worship God in the Holy Spirit, in spirit and in truth. And it's changed us and, and God has used your faithful service. And so I just want to say thank you. It's been a joy to have you on the show. We appreciate your service. If I can say one more quick thing before we get off. Yeah. Since we're doing a podcast, um, just to alert your uh, listeners to my podcast that is called Exploring Word and Spirit, uh, and they can find it on whatever avenue, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever, 
that they listen to podcasts. And uh, I dr- I'm in the process of addressing a whole lot of these issues, and hopefully that will be helpful to them. Exploring Word and Spirit, new podcast. Go check that out right after you're done with this one. Go check it out. Uh, new podcast from Sam Storm. Sam, we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Live Full, where our mission is to help followers of Jesus experience the fullness of Jesus. You can find articles, devotionals, resources, and podcast notes at caradox.com. And to stay updated on everything we release, sign up for our Three Things Thursday newsletter at caradox.com slash three things. Thanks to Charlie King for creating the music for this podcast. Thanks to our Caradox partners at Patreon for making this ministry possible. All of our listeners, thank you. This show exists for you. So thank you for listening and reviewing and spreading the word. Until next time, give your all to know and love and experience the fullness of Jesus. Because life to the full is life in Christ.